0: You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. Can I take you back to this year's Super Bowl halftime show? Do you remember that? Uh, By the way, I forgot. Who won that Super Bowl anyway? Okay, okay. All right, all right, all right. Just kidding, just kidding. So Super Bowl halftime show was it Maroon 5, Adam Levine. They were the performers, correct? Do you remember that? I mean, social media was in a tizzy while it was going on and shortly after. One of the things was uh, some of the gals were going crazy because he ripped a shirt off at some time and then people were pushing back saying it was totally inappropriate. But what got the most attention was this tank top he had on. And you can see someone took a photo of their TV there with their pillow design. And it's the very same one. You remember that? Social media went crazy with this. And I think there were some couches and chairs that had the same design and even the rug. Well, what was really interesting to me as all all that was playing out was the criticism that came their way. Did you follow any of that? And as a pastor, what really caught my attention was, was that the criticism was coming from both the church and the unchurched. That really caught my eye. Then they took to Twitter in response to all the criticism that came their way, and they put out this comment. This is Adam Levine's words. He says, you know what? We thank our fans. Thank our fans for making our dreams possible. Then he added this. And we thank our critics for always pushing us to do better. Is that cool or what? Whether you're in or outside of the church, that elevates receiving criticism to a high standard. And that's one of the objectives we have with this sermon series, just saying the power of words. And some of you, you've been the recipient of some criticism. Someone shot some verbal arrows into your life and they've really pricked your heart and your mind and it's caused you to crumble or cave in some ways. And if that has ever come from the mouth of another Christ follower, especially in this church, then I apologize. And I hope that as we walk through this sermon together, you and I get a good feel for how this guy Nehemiah, and we'll talk more about him in just a minute, how this guy Nehemiah received criticism, and then how he intentionally chose to respond to the words that were welded against him. Um, And by a show of hands, how do you get out of criticism? Do you know? Do you know how you avoid criticism? Well, there's two ways. Number one, don't really do anything of value or substance. If you do, then critics are going to come out and just attack you. Uh, the second way is to just die. Just don't do anything. Stop living if you want to avoid criticism. There's actually a verse in the Bible before we dive too deep into this. It comes from the Gospel of Luke chapter 7. Jesus is talking about criticism in kind of a veiled way. And he, he notes it. Read it for yourself. Luke 7. John the Baptist did not go around eating and drinking. So you said, well, John has a demon in him. But because the son of man goes around eating and drinking, will you say he eats and drinks too much? In other words, no matter what you're doing, there are going to be some people who don't like it. They're offended by it. It rubs them the wrong way and they're going to throw shade in your direction. Criticism is a natural part of life. So what do you and I do as followers of Jesus Christ when it comes our way, how do we receive it? And then how do we respond to A quick note, when you think about criticism and feedback, feedback is usually from fans, like Adam Levine referenced. Feedback comes from fans, and it's about, it's from people who want to build you up. There's people who come alongside of you. They are your fans. They're cheering for you. And while they may not always say what you want to hear, they will always say what you need to hear because they are there to build you up. Critics, on the other hand, are all about tearing people down, even when those people are trying to carry out a God-given goal. So imagine the city of Jerusalem centuries ago, and the walls surrounding Jerusalem had laid level for about 140 years. They were in heaps of rubble, and it was kind of the reality of the citizens there. They had recognized, well, if this has happened for 140 years— This is probably our reality moving forward. But then a new guy steps in named Nehemiah. and He goes around the Jerusalem area and he assesses this sad situation and he steps into this context and he offers a new reality. And sometimes that's exactly what you're doing when you're carrying out a God-given objective or goal or God has spoken to you and said, hey, I want you to make this move. I want you to step up and serve in this capacity. I want you to build this relationship. There will be people, and sometimes you're aware of who they are, sometimes you're not. They come along, and they throw that verbal grenade over the wall and just blast you. We move into this story in chapter 2 after Nehemiah assesses this situation. He goes around, and he wants to build this walls up. And actually, God is the one forming this vision in Nehemiah's heart and mind. We enter the story in chapter 2. When Sandballet and Tobiah heard about this, they were very much disturbed. Just for a second there, uh, Sanballat, maybe he's so disturbed because if you're into word studies and languages and all that, his name means something like, and if you have one of those Bibles that have the notes or the commentaries in them, maybe they, maybe they give you insight into this. Something like, sin has been born. So, I mean, if you're walking around with a name like that, maybe you've got a chip on your shoulder. And something neat to do, don't do it here because sometimes you can have an alarming name like that. When you leave this building, do a quick word study on your name and see what it means and see if it actually speaks into your life. Uh, By a show of hands, does anybody know what David means? It means beloved. Well, I said that first service and someone sent me a text with a screenshot on it and had this little blurb that said, uh, the word David... It means uh, intelligent, but almost to a fault. Can go on and on and on about stuff. Uh, Can become very, you know, verbally aggressive and angry and upset and all this stuff. So anyway, yeah, you know, you can't believe that. Anyway, so we go back to chapter 2, verse 10. When Sanballat and Tobiah heard about this, notice this. They were very much disturbed. I think it's really interesting that the text does not end there. The sentence doesn't stop. There's more added to it. They're very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. That's it. You've got this guy, Nehemiah, who comes around and says, no, 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 no. What's happening here is not bringing glory to God, the glory he deserves. So let's rally some people together and let's rebuild these walls And he has a vested interest in the Israelite people. And simply because he has this interest, these people are disturbed at this God-given goal from Nehemiah. Once again, I say as a pastor, if you have ever experienced that, all you're doing is trying to carry out the mission that God has given you, the mission of making disciples in your home or in your community, in this church or in your office. And someone comes along and criticizes you. I am sorry that that's part of human nature. Because I know those arrows are sharp and they hurt. And I'm sorry that you have to experience that. So when you read this story, it's really interesting. These guys are disturbed that someone has a vested interest. When you think about it, why do people criticize? When people step up and they throw those grenades or they shoot those arrows, why? Well, sometimes people are just angry. Sometimes people are angry at the world. It's a bad season of life. They've received some bad news. Things aren't good at home. The only thing they know to do is criticize. Maybe that was modeled for them for my very young age. Sometimes people are actually under conviction. We sometimes think of that as a dated word in the church. Conviction where someone is living out a pattern of life they know is not God-honoring. They know it's not beneficial to themselves or to their families or those they're closest to, but they're living that out anyway and that conviction is crippling them and causing them to criticize other people. Sometimes someone is given premature authority. Someone rises to a position of leadership or authority and they're not seasoned in this area, so they try to wield power from this position. Sometimes men and women are undiscipled. That's why I'm so thankful that here at Northeast, we put an emphasis on interpersonal relationships and conflict resolution, honoring God and how we resolve conflict with one another. But sometimes people are like mallet, totally right. i They're disturbed just because you're doing what you're doing. Sometimes there will be people in your life, sometimes they're close to you, not so close, and they simply do not want you to succeed. When they look at you, they feel insecure or threatened. Sometimes they see you and they see what you're doing they see the ministry that you're moving forward with and, they, and you remind them of what could be or what should be. But sometimes they feel like they're losing power. They don't know what to do other than to criticize. Again, if you've been the recipient of that, I'm terribly sorry. So you're going on with this story. Verse 18 and 19, Nehemiah actually gets the group together. He get, rallies this great army of the Lord kind of people and they come together and they start rebuilding this wall and they've got to start from scratch it's going to be a long journey but they actually start rebuilding these walls and they're like Nehemiah we're buying into this let's start rebuilding come on let's do it so they began this good work but when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem heard about it they mocked and they ridiculed us what are you doing you really think you can do this have you went through the right policies or procedures or steps? Do the right people know what's going on here? Why are you even giving this a shot? Maybe you've heard something similar. What's interesting here is that um, this is kind of related to what Carly Fiorina, are you familiar with the name, she has this idea that criticism comes in three levels, or from three angles, if you will. And the first one is accurate. There's accurate criticism. So when Sanballat and Tobiah come and they're like, hey, what are you doing? Maybe there's a little bit of accuracy in the criticism. These guys were probably in authority in this region. Sanballat may have actually been a governor of the area. So maybe they are asking legitimate questions that accurately reflect some criticism uh, toward Nehemiah's project. But what does Nehemiah do? As we unfold the story, we're going to see here in just a moment, he takes it upon himself to filter this and then respond accordingly. I don't know if you remember, but several months ago we were in a sermon series and I gave you this little acronym. And I told you that I've used it multiple times. Actually, I had to use it a few times recently. This little acronym that actually helps someone receive criticism in a very healthy way, get clear in their mind, and then respond in a very appropriate way. Do you remember that acronym? I want to give it to you in case you weren't here that Sunday, in case you lost sight of it, or just as a refresher. But if you'll remember, it's the acronym CLEAR. So when criticism comes your way, the very first thing you want to do is consider the source. When the criticism comes your way, is this from someone I can trust? Is this from someone who has my best interest in mind, that loves me and wants to build into me? Or is this coming from someone who wants to tear me down and has a pattern of finding fault with what I'm doing. So criticism comes your way, consider the source. Next, you want to walk through and listen carefully. In church, you know we have a high calling. The Bible is clear in the book of James that you and I are called to be slow to speak and very, very quick to listen. So when someone brings a critical word your way, listen carefully carefully. Listen carefully. Next, E, expect conflict. Uh, What you hear may rub you the wrong way because they've been rubbed the wrong way. And you don't want to get into this vicious vicious verbal cycle of just spinning, spinning your wheels. You want to expect that there's going to be conflict, but you're listening carefully knowing who's saying it. And then A, accept any truth. A, accept any truth. As Carly Fiorina says, when accurate criticism comes your way, It is a prime opportunity to change in healthy ways. And I know this can be one of the most difficult things that any one of us can do. But when someone has accurately criticized, we can take steps to accept any truth in what they're saying. Then you gather, collect all this information, and you are equipped to respond appropriately. And we've talked before that there is a vast difference between having criticism come your way and then just reacting. Just reacting based on how you feel, based on how they presented their feelings. You want to take a time out and work through this so that you can choose how you're going to respond. And this will become really important here in just a little bit. So clear. A color also says there's inaccurate criticism as well. And I think that's what we move into in the next section of Nehemiah's story. Nehemiah 4, 1 and 2. So when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, we're getting this project off the ground, things are taking root, good things are happening, he became angry and he was greatly incensed. So he ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, pause for just a second. Do you see what's happening here? And I try my best to keep a pastoral touch on this so I can get the pulse of people to make sure this doesn't happen, especially like in small groups. Do you see what's happening? So this guy, Sandballet gets incensed. He's furious, he's angry, he's upset. And now he starts bringing other people into the process. You ever been the victim of that? We call it triangulation. It's kind of the counseling term for it. Where you don't like something about someone, and it's not always a moral or ethical issue. You just don't like what's happening, you just don't like them. So you try to gather and recruit and bring other people in to creating rants and rumors about what's going on in this person's life. This is wicked, in my opinion. It is so unhealthy. And if you've been the recipient of this kind of behavior, this triangulation, again, from a pastor's perspective, I am so sorry. And if this is hurting you or harming you or your view toward your family or the church or whatever, I'd love to touch base with you. We can talk more about this at some time. Is that fair? So we go on. So he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? I mean, will they really restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Do you see this? There's a little bit of accuracy there. I mean, they're probably not going to finish in a day. Independent upon the motivation and participation of the people, maybe they don't bring it to final completion. But this is kind of inaccurate as well. Because the possibility or the potential for success is there. And maybe some of this resonates with you. Are you actually going to do that? Where's the funding or the money coming from? You know, that's too much. You can't take that on yourself. Well, there's no use doing that. I mean, who are you really? I mean, think about where you came from. That's really not your style or who you are. Maybe you're living above your raisings. You hear all these things, but that's inaccurate criticism. Anybody know this face? You know this face? I didn't know that there was this emerging group that I'm a part of. Actually, I thought I was the only one until I saw a Facebook post a few days ago and people were coming out of the woodwork saying, yeah, that's applicable to me too, or I'm part of that. This emerging group, and I'm curious if there are any uh, fellow members here this morning. Is there anyone here who has not seen a single episode of Game of Thrones? Okay, all right, much more than the first service. They must watch it quite often. Yeah, I've never seen a single episode, but I hear that this lady right here plays a very important role. Her name is Sophia Turner. And she actually got plugged into this very successful show when she was 14, 14. And by now you've read the comment to the side, haven't you? She said, I used to think about suicide a lot when I was younger, 14, when she started acting on this show, the critics came out and they started criticizing her skin tone. They started criticizing the size and the shape of her nose. And they started criticizing her acting ability. And that criticism led to this quote. You read through Nehemiah chapter 4. Wish we had time to read just through the whole book, it's beautiful. You read through Nehemiah chapter four and the people get to a point to where they're building the wall and things are going great. But the criticism is heavy. It's weighted and they feel it. And they come to Nehemiah and they say, you know what, we're done. We can't go go on any longer. We're finished. We're tired. We can't handle this. I mean, besides, is this really gonna play out? Let's just end it. Let's call it. Luckily, Nehemiah, the strong leader as he is, he's able to rally the people together to continue with the project. But if we could hang out here for just a second, I wonder how many of our pictures we could put up there. And as one of your pastors, if you are thinking about quitting, will you see me after service? If you're thinking about quitting as it relates to your family, or if you're thinking about quitting as it relates to a certain ministry you're doing in the church, or if you're thinking about quitting with some influence for Christ you have in your community or heaven forbid if you're thinking about quitting life will you please come and see me after service send me a note let's get together have a cup of coffee and work through it because I know criticism can be heavy and weighted and you can feel it and it makes you want to quit we don't want to do that We don't want to do that. If you read on in chapter 4, Nehemiah does this, another beautiful thing. And go back and read it. I think it's right around verse 5. I don't know about you, but when I get my world rocked in a negative way, I like to get clear in my own mind, work out my thoughts, and then pray. Is that how you do it? Nehemiah does it the exact opposite, and I think it's beautiful, and I've learned a lot from his example. Nehemiah reaches a point right after this strong triangulation, this criticism that comes his way, Nehemiah reaches a point to where he is ticked. He's done with these guys. He's frustrated, fiercely angry, and you know the very first thing he does? He moves into prayer, and I find that beautiful. It's as if Nehemiah is saying, hey, in those moments when you're done, those are the best moments to go to God. You can say what's going on in your heart and mind. You can say what you're actually feeling. Use the exact words that are playing out. You don't have to fabricate it for your heavenly father. You can be real. It's as if Nehemiah is saying, in prayer, that's when I get my head straight. That's when I get clear. That's when I get this frustration out and off my chest. That's when I connect with God, when I'm most vulnerable in those moments. Instead of taking that out on someone else, he takes it to God. That's beautiful. Uh, On a side note, if you're at a point where you're struggling with some of this, and I know it'd probably be a few of us, but if you're struggling with this and prayer is this tricky thing. Some of us think there's a secret formula or magic language, or certain language that you have to say every time, or whatever. It's not necessarily the case. It's just being real with your words before God. So if you're at a point right now and you're not praying because you don't know how or don't know what to say, it's okay if you hang out. It's okay if you hang out in silence for a little while in your prayers. The New Testament is clear that in our prayer time, there will be moments when we don't know what to say, and the Holy Spirit takes our emotions And our groans and carries them up to the throne of God. And he can still relate to us. So don't quit. Don't quit. Go to God. Reach out to me. Let's do what we need to do to help you overcome inaccurate criticism. Fair? Well, Carly Fiorina says there's also a third level. And this is kind of the most toxic or dangerous, if you will. And it's called malicious criticism. Malicious. Here's how it plays out in the story of Nehemiah. Chapter 4, when Samballot heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry, and they plotted. They plotted together to come and fight. Is this crazy or what? They come together to fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. They were scheming to harm me. Heaven forbid that anyone in the church is a recipient of malicious criticism. I mean, logically speaking, doesn't this make sense that this is the pattern of the world? We get that. You turn on to any news story, any news outlet that you follow, CNN, Fox, Yahoo, we see stuff playing out like this consistently, but heaven forbid This works its way into the church. You know what Nehemiah does? Gosh, make this book. Make this book, at least some of you, if you don't have a devotional quiet time reading list at the moment, we make Nehemiah your reading for the next little bit. This is such a beautiful book. What Nehemiah does next is that he actually, he's reached out to by these guys four times, fully aware that they wanna harm him, that they're just stirring up trouble just plotting to attack him. And he ignores it. Every time, he just ignores it. He discerns that this is not in his best interest. And may I tell you, in case you don't know, that you have God-given freedom to assess the information that is coming your way in the form of criticism. You have the freedom to assess that And the freedom to ignore it you do not have to respond to every critic that comes your way if it's filled with slander and hate and malice you can learn from it and then just push it to the side and can I say one more thing about this note about malicious criticism last thing if malicious criticism comes your way And it rubs you to the point to where you're frustrated, you're irritated, you're angry, you're upset, and you want to just unload on the critic. Will you please, if you choose to do that, will you please not attach the Holy Spirit's name to that? The Holy Spirit will never inspire you to unload on someone in an unhealthy, destructive way. Don't bring him into that. The New Testament is clear that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and patience and kindness and goodness, and you know the rest. The New Testament is clear that God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self control. So, whatever form of criticism comes your way, through the Holy Spirit's influence, you don't have to unload on that person. Rise above, and in that moment, be better than the critic through self control love and the power that he brings into your life. Is that fair? Clear? Okay, we move on with the story. Verse five, or chapter five. This is what I appreciate most, and this is where we're going to wrap up our time and say something that's relative to maybe an attitude with criticism, and then something that's very practical that every one of us should have in our lives so that we can play out criticism in the healthiest way possible. This is beautiful, In the midst of all this junk going on from Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem and his crew, and they're the leaders in that time, they're the governors, and how they're oppressing some of these people and managing this way of life in this area. Nehemiah takes a close look. He observes everything clearly. And isn't this beautiful? This is his deduction. He says, out of reverence for God, and his holy name, who he is, out of reverence for God, I didn't act like that. That's not me. That's not going to be part of who I am. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. Let's hold this screen up here, for this uh, slide up here for just a moment. Uh, can I draw attention to some of the younger generation of our church? I've made some intentional observations um, regarding student ministry, cultivate. And here's the observation I've made. And if you agree with it, I would encourage you to find someone in one of those groups, cultivate student ministry, and show them some love. Let them know you're praying for them. Maybe build into them. Maybe take them out for coffee. Let them know that you're behind them, that you support them, that you see the good things that God is doing in their lives. But when I look out at our social climate and we see just a society that's filled with slander and ridicule, when we see how absolute truth and biblical authority is passing away in this society, I see student ministry, I see Cultivate, I see young adults, I see youth in this area setting such a good example I hear some conversations. Sometimes Micah relays to me things that have been said from Cultivate. I chat with Josh sometimes and hear what's going on in student ministry. And I see an up-and-coming generation who understands that just because you have a different opinion does not by default imply racism or bigotry or hatred. And that there is a way to talk about sensitive issues In a way that criticism is not part of the content. But that you're listening. And you're learning. And you're growing with people. Let's continue to build into our youth who are setting that example. So that we're helping raise up that kind of generation to battle some of the stuff we see in society. So my prayer for that group is that you will find someone in that group to pray for to build into, build them up, give them feedback, love on them, and be cognizant of the good work God is carrying out in their lives. We're up for that? Okay, second thing, isn't this beautiful? I'm not going to act like that. Instead, I'm going to devote myself to the work on this wall. There are some of you, and I know who you are, and God has gifted you, in a very particular way. Sometimes we talk about simply because we're a follower of Jesus, we step up, we serve because there's a need and I can meet it and I step in to serve just like he did. But then there are other times where a need is outside of my bandwidth or capacity and I just can't carry it out. And that's great because other people have been gifted by God through his Holy Spirit with certain skills and abilities and talents to step in and meet those needs. And some of you have been gifted in ways that you're serving in great areas. But criticism has come your way, and it's challenging you. Don't act like you're critic. Instead, focus on what God has called you to do. A few months ago, I was wrestling with ministry. And I was thinking about uh, some of the issues that are really, really near and dear to my heart, important to me where I think I should really have a voice when it comes to biblical Christianity. And I was going to be doing some preaching and I was wrestling with how much I was going to emphasize a certain topic. And I decided to go with what I thought was the most accurate representation of how God was active in my life, the scriptures that I was reading, who I thought uh, God was gonna be bringing here, sensitive to that, preaching both services, thinking about particular faces in each service. And I decided to move forward with it. And you know, I'm a a big advocate for the importance of baptism in the salvation process. So I decided to move forward and push for baptism. And I felt this tug and prick in my spirit to really voice how important this was. And in second service, I thought it was equally, if not more important to really stress this in the invitation. So I made a very strong, clear invitational call. And there was a lady who came forward, and she relayed to me that she'd been driving around our building for about an hour and a half that particular morning. And she decided to whip into the parking lot, and she saw someone out standing out there, and she rolled down the window and said, Hey, what time does church start? This person said, Well, in just a few moments, 1045. She found a parking spot, and she came in, and she sat on the front row. And I remember making eye contact with her. I can see her now several times throughout the sermon. And she came forward at the end and she said, I have no idea why I'm here, but I knew in my spirit that I needed to be here. So she was going to be making a very big move, I think to another state. And this was going to be her first and only service with us at Northeast. And she said, I cannot believe what you were preaching on because I have to get baptized and I need to get baptized right now. So a handful of us stayed over, uh, some of the worship team, and we baptized her right up here on this stage. She didn't have um, a hair dryer with her to fix her hair, maybe some makeup come off. She didn't have a change of clothes like we had the robes and all that. She made this decision on the spot, and she sent me a card. I won't, uh, I won't bore you with the details, but I keep this on my desk so that when criticism comes my way, I can reread it, and I can remember to be in the moment aware of whether this is accurate, inaccurate, or malicious criticism, and I can review this and say, you know what? I'm not going to act like that. Instead, I'm going to keep focusing on what God has called me to do. And she attached this little angel pendant. I know you can't see it well there. She said this was just a small reminder to her of God's presence in difficult times and asked if I would hold on to it and pass it on to someone in difficult times later on in life. Some of you really resonate with that story because you know what you need to go and do. You know the good work that God has called you to. You know that you need to rally some other people, but you also know that there's criticism there. And you're unsure of how you're going to handle it. Get clear in your mind. Ignore malicious criticism. Work through the inaccuracies, and then when it is accurate, learn from it and grow. But when it comes to poorly handled words, in the form of a grenade or an arrow your way, don't act like that. Instead, focus on what God has called you to do. Father, we love you. We know you love us because of your son, Jesus Christ. We know you love us deeply and dearly, and we thank you for that. In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing to you, Father. And this song is going to mess with some of us and it's going to rock some of our worlds because we really get it just how profound your love is for us. And we want to thank you for that reminder because sometimes when we're not in this community, when we're in society and critics are rampant, we hear their voices the loudest. So right now, Father, we want to silence them through our worship of you. And we want to thank you for your biblical example of how to receive and then respond to criticism because there are indeed power in words, and we want to ask right now, Father, that the power and the words we are about to sing are so much stronger than any criticism we have received. Father, we surrender to you in this moment. Infuse us with the confidence to carry on with what you have called us to do, and may it be for your glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray and we praise you. Amen.